Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Ooh, a spicy question. I <laughs> love it. Because the writing is sort of everything, right? Like, you kind of can fix plot holes, but if the yeah. writing is So some bad. readers love that, and some readers are like, but I wanted more of this. So it's kind of, <laughs> it's kind of a gamble. Hello, and welcome back to The Right and Wrong Podcast. On today's episode, I am joined by associate literary agent, Maddie Belton. Hi, welcome to the show. Hi. Well, thanks for thanks for coming on. Happy to be here. How's it going? We're at the end of the year. Is that a busy time for you and the team? Yeah, it's really busy. Um, also kind of my first year at Madeline Melbourne, so mm. it's been a wild ride. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to kind of slow things down a little bit at this point. Um, but yeah, it's been a really busy autumn. So you started last 2022 at Madeleine Melbourne? Yeah, September 2022. Oh, okay. So it's it's just over a, a year. You've had your an, a, annual yeah. anniversary. Yes. Yeah. They gave me a big balloon. And by nice. they, I mean Chloe. <laughs> <laughs> You're an associate agent now. Did you start mm-hmm. as an associate agent? So I started at Madeleine Melbourne um, as an associate agent, but mm-hmm. I was previously agenting at um, a much smaller uh, more boutique literary agency that specialized in nonfiction. Um, but obviously where I changed from sort of where I changed area, I came in at associate level so that I could learn a little bit more about the fiction process. Cause I'd only been doing nonfiction up to this point. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. Was that, um, how did you go? Cause you did English literature and art history at university. I did. How did you go from there to I guess I I graduated um, and was like oh god I have to fill my days Mm. Um, and I have always loved books like so many people in publishing um, and books are kind of the only really the only thing I thought about and the only thing I could see myself going into Um, so when I came out of uni I was like okay publishing this makes sense. Um, these are like my people. Um, you know, I'm like, I love books and I can talk about them. Let's see what kind of job a job in this sector might look like. So I applied really broadly and didn't get anywhere, as is <clears throat> often the way um, yeah. in publishing, because I just think there's so, so many people who want to do it. Um, I joined the SYP and some various like Twitter pages and Instagram pages and kind of just got my feelers out. I went to a couple of events, I think just, you know, more general book industry events. Um, I think some by the book machine, some by the SYP book clubs, anything to kind of just get myself into the sphere of publishing, even if it wasn't directly you know, a publishing job yet. And then I sent cold emails to anyone and everyone who would listen. (laughs) And that was demoralizing. Um, But (laughs) I did eventually hear back from Graham Moore Christie, which is a small boutique nonfiction literary agency who are probably most famous for Vex King and Raina Wynn. Mm -hmm. 
I got an internship there. I went and interviewed with Jane and Jen, who are the agents that run there. And I sort of worked really hard until they couldn't get rid of me. <laughs> and um, uh, they offered me a job after um, I'd helped them out at a London book fair. And it just sort of went from there. Yeah. Okay. So it was really a case of just kind of throwing yourself at every opportunity you could find and just really getting involved within the industry. Persistence. Yeah. yeah. Persistence, like a little bit of gumption and mm. a lot of luck. Um, and I think what I, I was lucky in a lot of ways because I think that my personality lends itself quite well to agenting. And I think I was really lucky to kind of and I, I know I was really lucky to sort of get a foot in the door at an agency. And Jane and Jen were very sweet and nurturing and wise. They listened to my opinion, which was a really magical thing for someone who <laughs> is, I don't like, you know, you go into these things, you're like, oh, what good could I be? But actually mm. they, they did ask what I thought about books and how I would pitch them. And even if sometimes I was way off, they allowed me to be quite involved in that process, which gave me a degree of independence that I think you need as an agent and they kind of you know allowed me to fall on my feet sometimes as well and it was a very nurturing environment in that way which was really fun. Did you build any kind of list while you were there or did, was that something you started later? So I did yeah so um, I, I was an intern and then I was an assistant and then they did eventually promote me to agent there as well and I did build a list uh, a small one because I wasn't there for, for a very long time. I sold some amazing um, children's books from the Black Curriculum. I sold, among other things, I sold a book by Ruth uh, Ruth Allen, who is a, a geotherapist, I think is the official term. And we did her first book while I was at GMC um, that was kind of like a coffee table book with like beautiful, beautiful text called Grounded. And then I also sold, while I was there, um, with Jane, her following book which I think is coming out next year which is called uh weathering and it's it's beautiful um it's about so she is a therapist and a geologist (laughs) and she uses uh sort of rocks as a metaphor for like human understanding and looks at the ways that nature can provide us with uh systems and structures that might be beneficial to the way that like we see the world and it's just such a such a beautiful book um i i've actually i've got a copy i've got proof um and i'm going to read it because it's kind of the last book i worked on before i left gmc oh okay and i loved it that sounds amazing yeah it's really really cool (laughs) um so does that mean that that list stayed at the old agency you you didn't take any of those authors on with you okay this was obviously it's all non-fiction um, yes. But now, am I right in thinking that your focus is almost entirely sci-fi and fantasy? Pretty much, uh, yeah. It's kind of like ninety ten um, on the sort of magic to non-magic, <laughs> um, and yeah, essentially that I was looking to move. I think into a space that would allow me to make magic um, without sounding <laughs> twee. Um, I have always been a huge reader of all books, mm. but I think like gun to my head, fantasy and romance are sort of where my heart is. And that is also where I found myself being more and more drawn to. It's taken off in a really cool way. I mean, it's always been there. <laughs> I think that's what uh, we are all sort of coming to terms with as well. There's like a canon of, of some kind that's mm-hmm. existed that I've been reading. I think, but I think with TikTok and with 
the generation that's coming through now and this like demand for escapism it's just happening in such a big way and I really wanted to be part of that I, yeah. and I also I it's interesting I don't know if other people have this when they're kind of going up through publishing I think I had a very unique route to where I am because I didn't have very many colleagues at Grandmore Christie it was for the most part Jane, Jen and myself so, and we had some interns and various other things so what I really also wanted was a few more peers and some some other people who might like fantasy to talk about fantasy with so it was much like a social move as it was also a move into somewhere where I could sort of do these magical books it was about broadening what I could do and and the scope of the things I wanted to do yeah 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 yeah. you wanted to kind of move into into a bigger system where there's kind of more moving parts and more things going on and, and yeah like and that. also fiction primarily you yeah, know yeah 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 and is it you do children's and uh adult the whole kind of suite I do yeah it's funny the the market's especially in science fiction fantasy is more and more blurred every day I feel yeah. yes I love sort of you know, your Catherine Rundell type and Philip Pullman type middle grade. Um, but I would say my taste generally skews older into kind of crossover and through to adult. Yeah. But I think so much of, I read a lot of fantasy and like, when you look at like what's really popular on like a global level, so much of it is what what we call crossover, I think, where it's like yeah. this, this could be YA, but you could also, it's also like Brandon Sanderson is, mm-hmm. it's like both and and like uh, Name of the Wind is, I would say is crossover yeah. as well. Um, it's one of those genres where yeah. you, it's so blurred. It's hard to. It's also really interesting. And I think I say this with an understanding that things are changing, but I do think for a time, a lot of women published into the fantasy space were held as YA more so than men. And I think that has an impact on kind of the way that we we saw those categories um whereas I think now there is an understanding there's some incredible editors and like there's just a lot more movement and a lot more of this this sense that the publishing industry likes to categorize um, yeah. and it's useful for them in so many ways like data way you know all those things but the consumer is less bothered most of the time yeah especially when they're buying their own books you know, in the middle grade market, when a parent is purchasing and some younger YA, that, that you can have a bit more what's appropriate, etc. But a teenager looking for fourth wing is not caring too much about which section it's in the bookshop yeah, for. True. Or, you know, someone like someone's read a Brandon Sanderson. It's like Brandon Sanderson has stuff which is categorized as YA, but also yes. categorized as adult. But it's, they, yeah. you know, people yeah, just yeah, want yeah. to read Brandon Sanderson, mm-hmm. they don't care where it is. Yeah, and I love Sanderson. He sort of cemented my love of fantasy, I think. <laughs> um, and he will not stop. He's putting way too many no. books out all the time. <laughs> <laughs> he is wildly and terrifyingly productive, but yeah. I think he's also really smart and he's been doing it for such a long time. Um, mm-hmm. And he, I think he continues to adapt and change, and that's also quite exciting. And learn. I think there's something which mm. is, and I'm sure he's open about this as well, is that reading something like Mistborn and Elantris, his earlier stuff, you can see how much he's like honed the craft when you read the newer stuff, mm-hmm. the later stuff. And it's like, you can see yeah. his kind of growth as well. Yeah. It's really exciting in that way. Indeed. So you said it's about a 90-10 split. Is, is that mm-hmm. in terms of, we're talking sci-fi fantasy, 
is that in terms yeah. of like 10% fan, 10% sci-fi, 90% fantasy or just across both? No, the 10% I would say is more just like other things. Other. So okay. sort of, um, <laughs> it's like 90% sci-fi and fantasy and 10% like where my gut or instinct or particular passion takes me. So, you know, okay. uh, it could be nonfiction project or um, I just reserve that 10% for my wild cards. Right. Because okay. I think, <laughs> I yeah, think yeah, yeah. as an agent one of the best things about being an agent is you're really led by your taste right mm-hmm. and for the most part I'm fairly predictable in what I like but I know myself when I think <laughs> I do have uh, this like 10% that's like oh I, want, I really like that book and I want to sell that book because I think it's really really cool um, yeah. so I'm going to offer up on this book even though it might not be a class like something you would immediately associate with me or again that 10% would also be sort of inspiring non-fiction um, for children so yeah okay so y- so you you do you do sort of keep up a, a little bit of your roots in nonfiction. You do have yeah, some in yeah. fiction there. Yeah, it's hard to let go completely. <laughs> That's good. Well, speaking okay about science fiction fantasy, mm-hmm. we you know we we kind of covered it a little bit just now when you were saying it, it's become a much more kind of broad um, thing than it than it was historically. And I think also historically, if it was deemed fantasy, it was just put in like as a children's book like i'm um, lord of the rings used mm. to be that like, considered a children's book and uh, even philip pullman i mean i would argue if lyra is three or four years older that's ya through and through mm-hmm. it, within fantasy sci-fi the range you know nowadays we have you know you've got your epic fantasy but you've also got cozy fantasy grimdark romanticy mythology historical contemporary the list goes on do you rep all of it or are there some kind of sections of that that you aren't really that drawn into i rep all of it um, okay. <laughs> i have the ability to rep all of it i don't have everything on that list yet um i hope to mm-hmm. uh, eventually again my time as an agent but yeah i mean my remit is really broad and as i said it is really directed by what i enjoy to read and i enjoy all of those things i probably um i love i like grimdark but not I'm not like the biggest fan of Grimdark. I think okay. I would want something with like a little bit of a, a, a twist or something like that. I also think, I, yeah, but it, it depends. Again, I don't want to say I don't want it because I do. Yeah. <laughs> it just has to be the right one, you know? Yeah. I know what you mean because Grimdark's an interesting one too, because you go to the origin of it and the origin of it, I think mm. is it's Warhammer, I think. Um, yeah. And, and that's very serious and it's, that's mm. where the kind of, it, it's all the kind of vibe and the, the tone of it. But then you get something like Joe Abercrombie, which is grimdark, but it's also hilarious. And it's like so really fun. fun, right? So it's yeah. even the range within that s- sort of smaller genre of the meta genre fantasy is, yes. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's crazy. Like in many ways, if you start talking about fantasy, you're talking about infinite worlds mm-hmm. and space and time yeah. and any contrived magic you can dream up um so it is incredibly broad i love it all but i'm obviously driven by the market and Mm -hmm. driven by personal taste and i think most agents are in that way i mean you have to be it is also a business at the end of the day yes you know this is this is work and you need to be taking Mm. stuff that that you think has a good chance of succeeding of course yeah because and you you owe that to the authors as well absolutely um it's it sounds like you're very much into magic do you rep the non-magical, more sciencey sci-fi stuff? Uh, not so much, okay. which isn't to say I wouldn't. 
I'm not really a thriller girl. Mm-hmm. So anything that is kind of like a sci-fi thriller, I am not as naturally drawn to. But I am also really into like very complicated characters. And I sometimes think if, if the characters are good, then I would go there. But generally, I steer away from the kind of Blake Crouch space a little bit. Okay. Okay. That's good to know. So now that we've established what it is that that you represent, what you're looking for, what you're interested in, let's talk about submissions. This is something I ask all the agents that come on. Um, For submissions at Madeleine Milburn, uh, you guys have a, you guys actually have a form system now which is like built into the website very convenient i'm so i'm sure it's great for your email inboxes but (laughs) nothing too surprising it's 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 kind of the industry standard cover letter synopsis first three chapters Mm -hmm. ten thousand or ten thousand words for fiction so of the cover letter synopsis and chapters where do you go first and what are you looking for with each part Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Um, so always the cover letter, mm-hmm. arguably the subject line, it's got to have a good title. And then in terms of the cover letter, I want to be able to scan it fairly quickly and pick out comparative books that I love and know or that are exciting at the moment. A little bit about you and a little bit about how the book is going to make me feel because I'm very much a mood reader. <laughs> <laughs> and um and I think I'm quite driven by that. So those are sort of the top lines. And then if the things are present, then I will read that and a little bit I will like refocus on that um and sort of read it a bit more deeply and then dip into kind of the first few pages, get a sense of the voice. If all's still going well, I won't finish the sample. I'll jump into the synopsis and make sure it's kind of fully formed. Mm-hmm. And then I will probably send it to my Kindle or put it in a folder to kind of read in a bit more detail on a quiet moment and kind of sit with. And then if it all goes well, I will call in the manager. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> That's interesting. That seems like a, you've got a real method uh, and a real, yeah. a real like system yeah. for this. You have to be really methodical about it because you just get so many. Yeah. You know, we're all going through those submissions looking for the specific things that you know, spark excitement mm-hmm. in us as agents and as people. Yeah. So you mentioned in the cover letter that you're tell, so you want to know how you're going to feel or at least how they think mm-hmm. you're, the, 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 yeah. the words are going to make you feel. What Can you just give like an example of that? That's not something I'd, I'd kind of heard before as a, as a <laughs> suggestion for a cover it's letter. A very, I'm a very emotional reader. <laughs> I think what I mean by that is the narrative arc and what's at stake right often with fantasy or always with fantasy and most of the time with pretty much any book like you're looking for a clear like what's the status quo how is it being changed and what are the consequences of that Mm -hmm. and i think if you can get that across to me in a blurb like that's how i try and pitch things and so if i can pick those things out of your sort of blurb that you've written or your 
cover or synopsis of the book itself, then I know I'm onto a winner because those are the kind of things that readers will latch on to. You know, is it a love story? Is it about belonging? You know, obviously it's about a world ending, <laughs> like magical <laughs> curse or something like that. Yeah. But when you break it down, like, is this about found family? Is this a quest narrative? You, you know, is this a werewolf book that's about, you know, changing and what that means and that kind of thing. I'm looking mm-hmm. for those broad strokes that have the depth that I like to work with. Okay. And presumably if there's like a sort of uh, overarching vibe of the, so like if it's Yeah, like it's a, a vibe check. It's a good way yeah. of looking at it. Like yeah. a, if it's a cozy fantasy, you'd be like, exactly. let me know it's cozy. You know, in the pitch events where there's often a, like a mood board. Yeah attached to the, to a pitch i'm sort of when i'm looking at that cover letter i'm building that mood board in my head okay so it's about the images the vibe the mood is it dark is it light is it cozy is it romantic is it gory like all those things i need to be able to get them quite quickly right and often i can um and which is really fun like i think one thing i will also say about submissions is even in the year I've been looking at fiction submissions at Madeline Melbourne, they, they get better. But I think people have really started to nail their pitching, which mm-hmm. is really exciting. Yeah, I've heard the the standard of of not just the the submissions and the queries themselves, but the just like writing in general has gone up sort of exponentially yeah. almost every year, I guess it goes up. Yeah, which is so cool. Worrying for all the people <laughs> wanting to <laughs> break into the industry when it's like, yeah, the competition's much harder than it was last year. <laughs> it is it is but equally you know a good story will always win and it's more art than science like there's no exact formula for success at any stage I don't think there's just what you love and what the reader loves and I think if you can if you can put that on a page then you're onto a winner yeah and just like with you and and getting into publishing, it's about perseverance and just just kind of keeping going, yeah. despite you know all the sort of ups and exactly. downs. Exactly, like, yeah, you know. definitely. So that's fiction. You do, as you say, represent a small portion that sometimes is nonfiction. Um, slightly different thing to pitch. It's uh, it's outlines and ca- and chapter samples. Uh, Am I right in thinking there's sort of more emphasis on the author with a nonfiction and the, like their connection and qualifications in relation to whatever the book is going to be about? So it sort of depends. It's contextual, uh-huh. but I would say it depends more on the justification of why the idea needs to go to market and who is looking for that book. I mm-hmm. think with nonfiction, you have to think about there being a need. For the book to fill and justifying that need is the key to selling that book so more so than like the text whereas in fiction like being able, that text being able to carry the reader is really, really strong yeah. um reasoning in non-fiction it is more about whether or not the person writing the book is the right person to fill the gap in the market and how that gap will be served by this book Okay, that's interesting. So there's there's almost I mean you you have to think about your audience and and where this sits on a shelf no matter what, but it seems mm-hmm. like with, with nonfiction there's almost a much bigger sort of like you need to know exactly the kind of demographics that this is for and exactly. where it's going. Yeah. Okay. It's very much about 
as I said, fulfilling a need, um, and particularly in children's nonfiction, which is the only kind I do now. Um, it's about kind of like what is that parent looking for when they're going into the bookshop and trying to kind of find something that's going to support their child's learning. And you know, one of the simplest ways of thinking about that is they're looking for something that will complement what they're learning in school. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, so like, look at much. the curriculum, and then maybe what's not in the curriculum but like might be adjacent to it like that would be a really cool thing to have a book on um, right. that kind of thing okay that's a whole that's a whole market and 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 writing yeah. that i've never even thought of and not even considered mm-hmm. yeah which is really fun and also like again things that parents find hard to explain um that you know it really depends on the parent there um <laughs> <laughs> but you know for example, if I was a parent, I would probably be looking for science and math books for my children mm-hmm. because those are the things that I struggled with at school the most. Right. Um, and that yeah. I, I, I myself or my parents when I was younger would like get me books on those subjects, help me get more interested. So you've got sort of that side of it. And then you've also got the like really kid that's like done all the schoolwork, really excited about space for example Mm -hmm. and just wants to consume more than the teacher's able to provide them so the parent wants something that's gonna you know excite their curiosity take them to the next level in that way oh that's great that's so that's inspirational i would say (laughs) that's great i really like that and i guess there's also a when you're talking about you know if if a parent is struggles themselves to explain a certain subject mm-hmm. they they get yeah. a book that does that but they can also learn with their child uh yeah. kind of get they can get a kind of grip on it at the same time that's yeah. great and i think as well there is only so much time a teacher in a classroom has to explain things mm-hmm. um and there is only so much that is in the national curriculum um and there are gaps and so it's also about like diversifying learning and making sure that everyone sees themselves in history and science and all those things and English as well well that's great that's awesome it's not something I'd ever really thought about before but uh makes a lot of sense let's get back on to you before we as we head towards the the twilight of the episode we are recording this uh it's near the end of the year 2023 in 2024 are there any specific genres or characters or settings or styles that you are really hoping to see in your submissions box Yes, always. Um, I have not yet found, but really want a vampire or a werewolf book. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Could be both at once. Mm -hmm. I'm not, I'm not that, you know, I just want it to be dark and bloody, a little bit sexy. (laughs) I want it to explore like monsters and, you know, monstrousness in a YA setting. I think it could be really cool in the vein of kind of, growing up and uh, and what that means as you grow up to be growing up into a vampire or werewolf or to be dealing with that at times when you're not having to deal with a lot in the adult space it would be really cool to see a like a real urban twist on those things like give me corporate vampires (laughs) um you know that kind of that kind of thing um i think could be really cool and like you know, really gothic imagery and visuals. Mm. So that's yeah. definitely on my list. Literal corporate vampires. Literal corporate vampires, <laughs> yes. please. <laughs> um, but truly anything, a shifter or vampire love. And I really love that 
also if you if you are so that way inclined like I love that in the romance space as well like paranormal romance I love paranormal romance and I used to read it a lot when I was growing up I think it's really making a comeback so I would love some like quite romantic things in that space too Mm -hmm. but I'm not limited to them I also just like them in other ways I also really always 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 love epic fantasy both YA and adult I I feel like that is like my favorite favorite thing it's what I read the most of and with epics what I am always most drawn to are the kind of the way that magic impacts the way worlds are built and fall and who gets left behind and who tells the stories of empires kingdoms universes that rise and fall with time um so that kind of scope is really interesting to me and how do you convey that both on a massive scale with your world building but also in that like gorgeous intimate scale and like how does that affect joanna the village librarian that (laughs) you know had to sweep up the ashes of all the books that were burnt in the war like that okay. kind of thing, like the, the the micro and the macro and how they intersect is like my heartland. I love it. Okay. So you must, you must really like the Stormlight Archives. Yeah. I <laughs> love the Stormlight Archives. Okay. I love them a lot. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm just thinking that I think the, in the way of, the first one, the way of Kings that there's like two prologues and you're getting sort of narrated by like basically yes. gods and then like kings yeah, yeah. and like it's constantly shifting and... exactly i love that and then also dragons nice still haven't just found dragons. my dragon book but i like love dragons and dragons in middle grade as well all all the dra- like through any genre dragons please I huge like dragon girl dragons could be hard at the moment i guess because i know house of the dragon is like such a yeah. big impact but they are also perennial and like Christopher Paolini's, is that how you say his name? I hope so. Um, his <laughs> Aragon, series right? was Aragon. Yeah. I read that when I was in school when I was really young. It was my first epic fantasy. It was my entry point into the genre. And okay. It, you know, there will always be kind of, a, a whole, I hold a very sweet spot in my heart for it. And that mm-hmm. kind of book, I really, really love. And it doesn't really go out of fashion. Like, trends come and go, but everyone loves a dragon yeah especially now (laughs) especially now yeah dragons uh, yeah dragons don't really go out of fashion they just kind of the fashion around them changes so like house of the dragon has made them kind of like these terrifying ancient beasts that some people can train and stuff whereas like other things are more friendly it it varies there's loads of ways to do it and i'm open to them all and there could be more (laughs) yeah exactly exactly and i'd love to see kind of um, and we've had it a little bit. Uh, Su Lin Tan has written some beautiful books, mm-hmm. uh, The Heart of the Sun Warrior. Um, and I think she's got more Tales from the Cecil Kingdom coming. And I really love like dragons also in, like uh, from other mythologies and like in other canons. Like we know the Western dragon quite well. Yeah. But many, many other cultures have their version of a dragon. And it would be cool to see that. It's funny that so many different cultures across the world have like a version of what is a dragon. Yeah. I guess I think sense. human beings would just always want to fly, don't they? <laughs> yeah. really? We want to fly on like giant scaly yeah. things that breathe fire. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Amazing. Before we get on to the final question, um, uh, always love to ask uh, agents this. Obviously, 
with uh, you, your colleague Chloe. We 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 know the mm-hmm. answer, but safe to say that you you love books, stories, literature. Would you um, or are you writing a manuscript of, of your own? Would you like to publish something of your own one day? Gosh, this is a really, this is a question I've been wrestling with recently. Actually, <laughs> um, I never never necessarily grew up wanting to write. I mm-hmm. grew up wanting to read, and I have always define myself in terms of like my work as more of an architect than a builder okay it's interesting so short answer no i much prefer moving parts of other people's stories yeah yeah, yeah. but i did draft the synopsis of something the other day because i was just looking for something in my subs i couldn't find um (laughs) so who knows i don't know it's not something like maybe one day but it's not a priority for me at the moment and i'm not currently writing a manuscript no okay so it's a never say never kind of thing yeah okay and are you just off the back of that are you quite an editorial agent with your with your authors do you like to sort of get involved and brainstorm with them and and do that kind of stuff yeah i love to do that i love to do that it's like one of the most fun things about my job I always, it's also something I talk to people a lot when I'm offering rep kind of my vision for the book and whether they want to kind of do the work. Every book is different, but yeah, I think it's, it's a dialogue editing and bringing ideas to the table is a service that I hope I offer as an agent um, (laughs) and something that um, I really enjoy doing. Yeah. Amazing. Awesome. Well, I think this has been, a, for anyone listening, if they wanted to get a sense of, of you and what you're into and what you're interested in um, as an agent, I think this has been a, a great uh, a great demonstration of that. And we are now at what is always the final question uh, of every episode, which is, Maddie, if you were stranded on a desert island with a single book, which <laughs> book would you want it to be? I think it would be... Song of Achilles by Madeline Miller because okay. it is to date the only book that I've read more than three times. Wow. That's <laughs> not an, really a big rereader. <laughs> yeah. But I do return to that one quite regularly. And I do I just it has epicness, it has a love story, mm-hmm. um, it has gods and <laughs> I just yeah, I really like it. I wanted I will say, I know this is cheating. But I did want to say the Live Ship Trilogy by Robin Hobb because okay. I've never managed to finish it and I'm desperate to, but I just never find the time. <laughs> but that is three books and I couldn't just take one yeah, of I mean, those yeah. books. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Like I'd have to take the full set. Um, so that's like my bonus answer. Um, bonus answer, okay. Because I love Robin Hobb and <laughs> yeah, I haven't read that great. trilogy. Yeah, she's um, um, yes. prolific as well. She's written so much. Yes, yeah. Amazing. Well, great choices. Song of, Song of Achilles is... Uh, uh, probably a modern classic, I, I would guess. I would guess yeah. it'll get it'll get put into those hallowed halls relatively I soon. I hope so. But a great choice. I think the first person to to choose Song of Achilles. So, um, oh really? Oh, yeah, I, nice I thought that was quite a generic answer, but I'm pleased. No, 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 the most the most often picked is um, almost any Jane Austen. I am. I'm not a big Jane Austen. There we go. <laughs> we found it, guys. The Jane I, Austen hater. I, I know. I know. I don't hate her. I really love Pride and Prejudice, the film, mm. in every iteration. But um, I tried. I, the only Jane Austen I've actually managed to read is Emma. Okay, and you didn't love it. Um, it was fine. <laughs> <laughs> well, to each to each his own. You know, that's uh, uh, yeah, exactly. You're entitled not enough magic to... for me. 
know me. There you go. That's not the enough issue. dragons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She just needed a bit of magic and a bit of yeah, otherworldly yeah. A dragon stuff. or two. <laughs> yeah. And that'd what about, um, did you ever watch that Pride and Prejudice and Zombies? Oh, do you know I didn't, but I reckon I would like that. <laughs> it's very silly. <laughs> yeah, I like a bit of silliness. So that's okay. So you'd be interested in a magical retelling of uh, a Jane Austen? Yes, but I wouldn't know if I'm the best person for it because I don't know the original material well enough necessarily. Yeah, maybe. Or maybe that would be you a good kind thing. of maybe. I don't mm. know. It would depend on the execution, as it often does. <laughs> anyway, uh, we're going off on wild tangents. Sorry, here. sorry. <laughs> um, <laughs> thank you so much, Maddie, for coming on the podcast and telling us all about your your kind of career so far, what you're what you're doing, what you're up to at Madeline Melbourne, um, what you're interested in, and kind of all of the stuff that goes with your literary agenting. It's been awesome chatting with you. Thanks so much, Jamie. And for anyone wanting to keep up with what Maddie is doing, you can follow her on Twitter at MadsPhyllis. That's M-A-D-S-P-H-Y-L-L-I-S or on Instagram at Maddie Belton. If you're thinking about subbing to Maddie or any of the team over at Madeline Milburn, head over to the website and you can find their submission form process on there. And to make sure you don't miss an episode of this podcast, follow along on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok and Facebook. You can support the show on Patreon and for more bookish chat, check out my other podcast, The Chosen One and other tropes thanks again to maddie and thanks to everyone listening we'll catch you on the next episode waiting on a tax return hopefully it ends up in your hands fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30 percent in 2023 if you're in a bind this tax season lifelock can help our u.s-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues and all lifelock plans are backed by the million dollar protection package so we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware.